Hi, and welcome back to the Encouraging Word. My name is Stephen Young, and I'm the youth director here at Rock Creek United Methodist Church. And I'm with Paul, who, um, Pastor Paul, who's the assistant pastor here at Rock Creek United Methodist Church. He's been here for about what, ten years. Not quite. Uh, eight. Is, yeah, eight one years. would think more like eight. Yeah, pushing eight. eight pushing eight. <laughs> eight years. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I, it's been great watching him grow up and just develop here in this church since I've been here for three About years. About a couple of months. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're in a series on beliefs. So this is our, I believe, week four. Um, and we're looking at today, we're going to be looking at Islam. But before we get to that, um, we have a new section or a new segment, sorry, that we've been kind of introducing into um, the podcast, and um, it's called FIT, the FIT section, which stands for Funny, Interesting, and Thought-Provoking. Um, so we, we're we doing this kind of segment just to liven things up, just to get kind of a, um, just to hear the funny stories that happened to Paul throughout his life, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, just sharing things that happen in our lives. So... Um, yeah, so I'm going to share mine, uh, fit my funny, interesting, or thought-provoking thing. Um, so I recently I recently had a birthday, so one year older. Um, and then for my birthday, I got a drone. So um, it's been a lot of fun getting to learn it and, and, and figuring it out and stuff. Um, but I actually, I got one. It didn't quite work right, so I got a new one. Um, but the new one um, has, so there's, on the drone, there's different lights, and the lights tell you different things. So the first drone I had, the lights told me um, when everything was calibrated. Um, it told me when things were hooked up to the GPS and stuff like that. So um, I kind of figured, I wondered, or I figured, or assumed that all drones had the same light. Um, meant the same things with their lights. <laughs> so, uh, so when I got the new drone, it showed the the lights, a blue and white light that I thought meant that it was connected to GPS, which means that it's ready to fly. So I get out the new one, hook it up to the controller, and and I figure it's ready to fly. So I start it up, and the first thing it does, it comes right at me. Um, <laughs> Attack drone. It, yeah, it's like an attack drone, and I hit it to the ground, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And of course, I tried several, two, at least two more times. I tried, and it was still kind of flying erratically. So I went back to the book. I was looking at it, looking closely, and I think I figured it out. So I, I think I figured it out, but I basically did the same thing. But this time, when it flew up, I was trying to get it to fly away from me and fly in the other direction. But I, what I forgot is the other direction is <laughs> literally across the street. So we have a long driveway. So this thing is like going 15, probably 10 to 15 miles per hour across our driveway, across the street, and crashes in the neighbor's yard. Um, and a car had went by like a, probably less than a minute before or right after it flew across the street. Um, so it was quite an experience. I was very nervous, very scared because I had no control over this drone. It was flying <laughs> at an excess of 10 to 15 miles per hour. I thought I was going to break the neighbor's window. I thought I was going to hit a car. I kind of almost hit a car. I mean, it was really scary. Um, 
Yeah. So when you get a new drone, make sure you read very, very closely. What I realized is that the lights meant that I was connected to my controller, but I hadn't ca- collaborated, collaborated, Calibrate. calibrated yeah. um, the wings and the signals and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I, I got a joke for you, Stephen. Why did <laughs> why did the Israelites wander in the wilderness for for <laughs> for all those years? I don't know why. Because they refused to stop and ask directions. Oh, oh it, it was right. all Moses's fault. Right. So yes, true. you had the instructions and. <laughs> You almost became the first person in Ohio history to be cited for a collision right, between right. a, a oh vehicle and a drone. Right. That would have been no, crazy. It's, <laughs> that's a, a, yeah. a funny story. Would have been even funnier <laughs> if I could have been standing there <laughs> laughing with at you right. uh, when it when it was going on. Right. That would have been great. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I guess I, I might as well share something that makes me look equally incompetent uh, <clears throat> for mine just to make Steven feel better. So oh, my thanks. my daughter's in uh, Scouts, and they were on a camping trip, um, I guess, uh, uh, almost two weeks ago now. And when she returns, every time they go on these camping trips, her job is to uh, set up her little individual tent and uh, to, to hose it down, wash it down, and dry it out real good before they fold them up and put them away. So uh, so with her tent came this sheet of plastic, and for whatever reason, we got the, the tent all dried out and put away with this plastic. Um, we <laughs> So we, we uh, got it out. We, we laid it out in the yard. We put the uh, some rocks on the four corners to hold it down. We hosed it down, and I thought, oh, it'll dry out by tomorrow and uh, be perfect. We can fold it up, put it away. Well, you know, it rained the first night, and so it didn't dry out, and, and then we left it out there another night, and then the following night it rained again, and then <laughs> I, finally I thought we had some clear weather, and, and I went out the next day, and we were going to fold it up, and, and the bottom of the plastic, I guess because of condensation or the dew coming up from the ground, <laughs> so the, the bottom of the... the the plastic was wet that day. So I think it took us like five days to get this sheet of plastic to dry out wow. and consumed way more time than it should have. Um, and uh, eventually I just took it into my garage and I laid it over my grill and let it dry indoors. Um, and Did that's you not put it in the dryer? I, you know, I don't know what happens to plastic in a dryer. <laughs> kind of like foil in the microwave. It's like probably not a good idea. Right. But yeah, if you want to check that idea. out for me, <laughs> then let me know. Right. Uh, so, you know, all's well that ends well. You know, Stephen fixed his drone and didn't get sighted. And, you know, we have a dry piece of plastic. And oh. uh, life is life is good. <laughs> life goes on. So uh, all of that said and, and set aside, um, you know, I, I think it's very um, relevant and appropriate for me to remind you all right now that Stephen and I are not experts uh, <laughs> at, right. at drones or plastic, <laughs> um, or in this case, uh, when it comes to world religions. So we've been saying this at the beginning of each episode, this this uh, series, just to, to remind you, this is an exploratory process for us, and, and we are... Uh, having a great time digging into these uh, various world belief systems, uh, leaning heavily on this book entitled The Compact Guide to World Religions, Understanding and Reaching Followers of, and then a number of different faiths listed here on the, the cover. But it's written by uh, Dean Halverson, 
And uh, we, we've really enjoyed digging into that, relying on that book, and, and learning a great deal about uh, religions, and several of which uh, were, were very, very new to me, and concepts, uh, not just religious concepts, but cultural concepts and, and mindsets that really challenged me and challenged my thinking. So it's been a blast, but uh, we, we say at the beginning of every uh, episode that we, we are not experts, and our intent is to... Uh, inform and stir up uh, good conversation and, and provide just a, a uh, kind of like a, a tickling of your uh, or of, of your interests so that perhaps you would dig further into it or, or at the very least if this is all you receive is, is what we share uh, just have some basic knowledge of the concepts that some of these world religions adhere to so uh, with that being said we, we turn this week to uh, Islam and so we're going to spend some time digging into Islam. Um, Islam, I, you know, I, I uh, it's interesting. I think that um, when I when I hear the phrase Eastern religions, I think of Hinduism and, and Buddhism, uh, maybe Taoism, amongst others. And uh, Islam is has some of the same um, origins, uh, similar roots as does uh, Christianity and Judaism. Uh, but I don't know if it's. Uh, I guess uh, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance here. I don't know whether it falls under the category of Western or Eastern religions, if that's even a thing, uh, because most of the adherents to Islam uh, live in the Eastern Hemisphere, but it uh, has some of the same roots, once again, as, as do Christianity and Judaism. Uh, but it's an in interesting intersection, and perhaps of both. Um, what I can tell you about the origins of Islam, well, first of all, uh, Islam... Uh, Muslims, who, which is the, the title given to those who uh, have um, adhered to the Islamic faith. So Muslims uh, comprise 20% of the world. This is the second largest religion, uh, second only to Christianity. Uh, Muslims uh, tend to live primarily in, in North Africa, in the Middle East, in South Central Asia, in Indonesia. Um, so it's, you know, most of us uh, initially think of the Middle East as being the Islamic center of the world, and, and perhaps it is, but there are Muslims that live in uh, probably all continents and are spread uh, all around the world. And in fact, um, non-Arabs actually outnumber Arabs uh, when it comes to the uh, Muslims in the world. So, um, you know, the non-Arabic -Arab uh, folks are are uh, more populous than uh, those in uh, in those Arabic nations from which the Muslim faith originated. So it just shows the growth of the religion. In many Islamic countries, uh, there's, there's virtually no Christianity, uh, no Christian influence whatsoever. And, and in some cases, they've closed their borders to missionaries of all kinds and made evangelism illegal. So it makes it especially difficult to uh, connect with and, and influence uh, folks of uh, Muslim faith. Uh, but a, a bit of the background, the history of, of where uh, Islam uh, evolved from. Back in, in 570 AD, 570 AD uh, Muhammad was born. Muhammad was born into an influential Arabic tribe. And uh, the religion of the day in, in his region was uh, more or less a polytheistic, which means they, they worshipped multiple gods, in this case many, many gods. Uh, poly, a polytheistic tribal religion uh, ruled the day in, in the area that Muhammad was born into. Um, and uh, Mecca, and you often hear the city of Mecca associated with, with Islam. Mecca was the focal point of uh, the 
the religious um, activity of the time and uh, was an important city to the Arabic tribe that Muhammad was born into. One of the things that um, folks who had spiritual leanings at the time were in, in encouraged to do was to spend a great deal of time, a year or more sometimes, in total, complete solitude uh, to receive revelations from God. And, and Muhammad's experience uh, began just like that. Um, as the story goes, in, in the year 610, when he was 40 years old, he received his first revelation from the angel Gabriel. Uh, yes, they, they also uh, um, believe in, in angels as messengers of God. We'll maybe go into that in a few minutes. Um, but this would be the first of many revelations that Muhammad would receive, and they would evolve into uh, what is known as the Quran, and uh, that is the um, authoritative book and, and the scripture of, of Muslims. And his message that he received was, um, was monotheistic in nature. So uh, the angel Gabriel that provided this, this message to Muhammad was uh, encouraging him along the uh, lines that there is only one God, and this was a very um, contra controversial that's what i'm looking controversial concept controversial. thank you yes <laughs> appreciate that uh in in his time and in, in uh, the area in which he lived this idea that there was only one god was was a um a big no-no and so there was a lot of persecution even as muhammad started spreading his message his revelations and gained followers there's a lot of persecution and eventually he and um a hundred families had to flee to a new area where they they set up camp and uh, began to grow and, and continued uh, that message of monotheism. And eventually, uh, in fact, only perhaps uh, 20, 15, 20 years later, he and his followers would come back to uh, Mecca and uh, gain several military victories over that city and, and ultimately gain control of Mecca. And um, in, in doing so, uh, Muhammad gained the influence and authority to unite all of the Arabian tribes in that area around uh, the Islamic faith. And uh, so um, it, it began to spread and, and gain quite a bit of traction at the time. And uh, only a few years later, Muhammad would die in, in 632, but he had accomplished a great deal around his uh, belief system and, and what he believed to be revelations from the angel Gabriel. Uh, an interesting fact in, in Mecca, because of the polytheism, the many gods, there was a, a cubic structure, and I, I, I'm looking forward to digging further into this, called the Kaaba, and uh, it housed 360 deities. So it just was a, a beautifully representative of the polytheistic religions, uh, religion that the people of the area had. And then when uh, Muhammad came in and, and took control of Mecca, the, one of the first things he did was destroy all of the idols that represented those uh, deities in the Kaaba. So that's the, the history, and uh, we're going to keep building upon that. I'm going to lay out a, a few of the uh, basics about um, what uh, Muslim people believe and how they're comprised, and then we'll let uh, Stephen take us on from there. But uh, first off, there are two major sects in the Muslim faith. There are the Sunnis and there are the Shiites. Uh, Sunnis comprise 80% uh, of, of Muslims, Shiites 20%. Uh, Sunnis, that 80%, emphasize more the authority of, of the written tradition, uh, including the Quran, 
and um, they are led by a consensus of a, a group of elders or religious scholars uh, are, are also a source of authority and guidance for them. And they believe that there should be separation between religious and uh, civil authority in, in our world and society. So Shiites, on the other hand, that 20% remaining, um, they're more authority-based than consensus-based. Um, and uh, they are, in a, a similar way as Christians, are awaiting the return of Jesus. They are awaiting the return of uh, the, the 12th imam. And I'll allow you to look into that more on your own. But imams are essentially the equivalent of the Catholic Pope in the Christian faith. They are that, that equivalent in the Muslim faith. And they are awaiting the return of this 12th imam. Um, and as opposed to Sunnis, the Shiites believe that uh, authority figures should exercise both religious and political power. Um, so just a little bit to, to distinguish one from the other. And finally, there's a, a third wing of Islam that's not as um, well known, and it's called Sufism. And it's kind of a mystical uh, third wing. And uh, in, in the little bit that I read about it, it seems to me similar to Hinduism and, and Buddhism in that uh, they're... The, the intent is and the goal and the purpose in life is to detach ourselves from uh, worldly, worldly things and worldly ideas and to assimilate into this vast being that is uh, God. And uh, so that's Sufism. So it's interesting that that uh, sect exists in, um, in Islam and, and it is to, at least at first glance very similar to Hinduism and, and core beliefs. Um, so Islam means submission. The word Islam means submission, submission to God's will. And they divide their religion into beliefs and obligations. What do we believe and what are we supposed to do uh, with what we believe? And I'm going to cover a few of the beliefs and then Stephen's ready to hit us with the uh, obligations uh, primed and ready. So beliefs, what do, what, what do Muslims believe? First off, they believe that God is one. Um, this monotheistic notion is, is very, very important that God has no partner, no equal, um, and thus the doctrine of the Trinity is offensive to them because they perceive that to, to be a Christian notion that there are multiple gods. Uh, so a, a key side note. Uh, number two, as we said, they believe in angels, that there's a hierarchy of angels that fill the void between God and, and humanity uh, that, that provide a connecting piece. Gabriel is the highest uh, in that hierarchy. And they also believe that every person is assigned two angels, and one records all of our good deeds, and the other records our, our bad deeds. And uh, we'll get into the significance of that um, in just a bit, because uh, our, our good and bad deeds are, are very, um, very important when it comes to salvation and, and the overall life purpose for, uh, for Muslims. And then in, in addition to angels, they also, at the bottom of the hierarchy of angels, I guess, is, is uh, what's known as a jinn, J-I-N-N, which is where we get the word genie, and, and jinns are uh, usually bad, and, and they're able to possess uh, people in a negative way. So we have uh, God is one, we have angels, we have prophets. Um, their belief is that God has sent a prophet to every nation in the world to preach this message of, of uh, monotheism and that God is one. And uh, many of the, the biblical characters that we read about in our Christian faith are, are considered to be these prophets uh, by Muslims, including Adam and Noah and Abraham, uh, Moses, David, Solomon, 
Jonah, John the Baptist, uh, Jesus, in fact, are all considered to be prophets of God uh, by Muslims. They believe each prophet is assigned to a particular age and uh, nation, and that Muhammad alone is a prophet that is meant to be revered for all time. Uh, next, we have holy books. Four of these, these highest prophets were given books of, of revelation that are provided to us as, as authoritative uh, sources in our faith. Uh, Moses, who provided was uh, was provided by God the Torah, which is uh, our first uh, five books of the. Or I'm sorry, that's the Pentateuch, but the Torah is our, our Old Testament uh, scriptures. And then David, who was uh, provided the Psalms, and Jesus, who was uh, provided by God as a prophet, the, the content of the Gospels, and uh, provided that to humanity. And then Muhammad was uh, given revelations that would eventually become the Quran. And uh, of the four, only the Quran, they believe, is to be preserved uh, in an uncorrupted state. So only the Quran is, is perfect. And then finally, the final uh, belief uh, provided here is that there is coming a day of judgment, and I hinted at this, that our deeds matter. Uh, when that day comes, our, our good deeds and our bad deeds will have been tallied, and if we have more good deeds than bad, then we move on to paradise. If we have more bad deeds than good, then uh, we are sent to hell. And uh, Muslims have no assurance as they live their lives um, that they have been accepted or embraced, that they've received any uh, notion of salvation from God. They're just hoping that their good deeds will ultimately outweigh their bad in the end. So a lot to take in, um, but uh, you know, uh, religions are, are complex. And uh, these are very sacred concepts, um, and so there's a, a lot to them, but Stephen's got obligations. So what do we do with these beliefs? What does that look like being lived out in the day-to-day -day life of a Muslim, Stephen? Yeah, so we're going <clears> to, <throat> as Paul gave a brief overview of the beliefs, I'm going to look at the obligations um, within, within Islam. Um, and there's, they typically call um, these the five pillars. So if you've heard anyone who's, um, if you heard anyone say five pillars, this is what they are, the five pillars of Islam. Um, and of course, uh, give the disclaimer that I am not the best at pronouncing. Um, Paul's actually done a pretty good job. I'm not a great pronunciator. Right. <laughs> As so. we invent new words. <laughs> yes, right. I love it. <laughs> uh, the first pillar is the recite, the shada, I believe. Um, this word means to bear witness, and you recite the shada. It's I, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and that Muhammad is His messenger. Um, just by saying this, um, that's how you become. If you say this sincerely, that's how you become a Muslim. Um, the next pillar is prayer, salat, I believe. Um, a Muslim is required to say uh, 17 cycles of prayer each day. And these prayers usually are spread out five times a prayer per day. Um, they're spread out over five times a day. Noon, um, dawn, noon, mid-afternoon, and dusk, dusk, and then two hours after sunset. Um, so typically in Muslim countries, um, all Muslim countries, um, the majority of Muslim, you'll hear, um, I think it's more like a horn, right? I believe it's like yeah. a, a sound. I, I believe it's a horn. Um, forgive me, um, I can't remember exactly what. Has that definitely sounds right. like a horn. Right, it's almost like. Form of a horn. Right, like in the West when we hear church bells sort of thing, it's something 
like that but what it's used for when you hear church bells it just means the hour um but here when you hear those those sounds in all muslim country it's a uh, calling for prayer um so a muslim would hear that and they would all stop and and do the prayer how sad uh, is that that our church bells just, <laughs> you know, like, as right. you say that i realize right. how pathetic that is right. our, our church bells should mean something right i guess sometimes it I, means somebody's gotten married or, that's true yeah but uh it should that's call true. us to prayer or something right. really meaningful well it can you. if you wanted to I it guess. should yeah <laughs> from now on yeah, yeah. we'll work we, on that we'll pray on the hour all right um yeah so that's that's the five times of prayer dawn noon mid-afternoon dusk and two hours after sunset um and then the third pillar is the fast is fasting um and muslims are expected to fast especially during ramadan um which is uh, one of the most holiest months um lunar month the ninth lunar month ramadan muslims are expected to fast during the daylight hours that month um, during the fasting, they must abstain from eating, drinking, smoking, and sexual relations. Um, and after sundown, Muslims are allowed to partake of all those things again until sunrise. So, um, actually, interestingly enough, I remember being on the football team, um, and we actually had a couple, I think it was three or four players who were Muslim. I'm actually, like, from, um, I think, believe they were from Iraq. Somewhere around there, they're from the Middle East. So, like during <laughs> during football, Ramadan typically is in the fall. So we were practicing in football, and they were having a really hard time because they had to fast and play football. Uh, so they they talked about how hard it was to play during Ramadan. Um, and then number four uh, is the giving of alms. Alms. Uh, Muslims are commanded to give one fourteenth or two and a half percent of their income partially to the poor and to the needy, kind of like uh, for the Christians tithing. Um, and then five, to make pilgrimage, um, and that's called a hajjah. Um, every Muslim must make the trip to Mecca at least once during his or her lifetime, provided he or she is able to, um, able to do that, respective of their health and finances. Um, each pilgrimage must wear the white garments called, oh, called ihram. I believe. Again, sorry if I'm, I'm really butchering these names. Um, but they wear these all-white garments, which you've probably seen a picture of, um, those pil- making pilgrimages to um, Mecca. And you see the pictures of them around the Kaaba, and they're them wearing all-white. Um, so that's that's part of um, the religious uh, the religious week or religious festival that they go to the pilgrimage um so also what i want to look at too is kind of looking very briefly and quickly um doing a quick summary of how islam and christianity are contrast and how they're different um especially on the major kind of the big um christian um kind of the, the big christian what's the right word i'm looking for uh, heading so like God, humanity, sin, salvation, Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the Bible. Um, how are, how is Islam and Christianity different? Um, so with Islam, God, as Paul had mentioned, um, Paul or God is a singular unity. Um, there's no partner associated with God, but in Christianity, um, God is complex um, and is a Trinity, which we'll get into more of that in a little bit. Um, the way. Uh, 
um, Islam sees humanity as good by nature, and then Christianity is sinful by nature, and the way Islam would see sin is sin is thought of in the terms of rejecting the right guidance. Um, it can be forgiven through repentance, but there's no, atone- no atonement is necessary. Where in Christianity, um, sin is spoken of as causing spiritual death, and it's serious because it reflects the attitude of the moral rebellion against God. This causes um, Christ to die, of course, in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. Salvation, um, according to Islam, is the standard for salvation is having one's good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, as Paul had said. Um, therefore, it's uh, it's more based on your effort. How good can you be? And Christianity, salvation is is absolute is the absolute um, grace and mercy of God um, through the work of Jesus Christ through faith in Him is salvation. Um, Jesus is seen as one of the major prophets in Islam, um, but Jesus is certainly not the Son of God. Um, whereas, of course, in Christianity, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Also very interesting is that with the death of Jesus in Islam, um, the death of Jesus, it's they say that Jesus didn't die on the cross. According to Islamic tradition, Jesus did not die on the cross. Instead, he ascended to heaven. And Judas died in his place on the cross. Muslims believe that it's disrespectful to believe that God would allow one of his prophets, and especially one of the most honored of the prophets, to be crucified. Um, so they, in, in Islam, they don't believe that Jesus was crucified. And of course, in Christianity, the death of Jesus is, is one of the central focuses, that Jesus died a physical death and gave his life as a substitute or substitutionary atonement for our sins. And rose again from the dead, physic in a physical, um, physically, right from the dead three days later. Um, and then Islam finally, the Bible, the way Islam sees the Bible is that it's corrupted, um, and that really the Quran is the true text. Um, and of course, Christians will see Scripture as authentic. Um, so those are kind of really um, simple um, contrasting differences. And also, real brief, uh, briefly, I want to speak quickly on the the similarities and dis- the similarities and differences of the God of the Quran and the God of Scripture. So I think sometimes there tends to be an assumption that the God of Scripture and the God of the Quran are the same, especially in our secular society. I listen to the media, and it just seems like oh, they're they're all well. We all think religions are basically the same, but especially when it comes to Christianity. In Islam, um, there tends to be like, well, there's some, as Paul had mentioned earlier, there's some roots, like they have Abraham, and they, there's, there's some similarities um, between Christianity and Islam, and I would say surface level, um, but there are some cross, there is some crossover, so anyone who hasn't done much research just assumes that it must be the same God. So some, there are some similarities, right? There's both are one, both are transcendent creators of the universe, both are sovereign, both are omnipotent, um, both have spoken to humanity through messengers and prophets, written word and angels, both are intimate, um, no intimate details of thoughts and the deeds of men, and both judge the wicked. But here are the differences, and there's some pretty big differences. The God of the Quran is a singular unity, as I mentioned before. But the God of the Bible is is um, three in one, right? It's one God in three persons, one in essence and 
and in three persons. So, and actually, that's for Muslim. That's a big, big um, concern um, that Christian that Christians would say the believe God is the Trinity. Um, for Muslims, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, the Quran, or the God, the God of the Quran, is not a father that has be, has begotten sons, but the God of the Bible um, is a triunity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, throughout the Quran, God um, has broken into history through a word that is written, but in the Bible, God has broken into history through Jesus Christ, who is the Word, who is a person. Um, also, the uh, the God of the Quran, the standard of judgment of the God in the Quran, the God in the Bible is different. So the standard of judgment for the God of the Quran is that our good deeds must outweigh our bad deeds, as Paul said. But in the Bible, the God of the Bible uh, is nothing less than complete perfection as measured by the holy character of God. Um, so the judgment in Scripture is that we ought to be perfect and holy as God is holy and only through Christ Jesus um, are we able to enter into heaven through faith, faith in him and grace? Um, and also the God of Quran provided a messenger, Muhammad, who's warned Allah's impending judgment. Um, and then, of course, in scripture, um, the God in scripture does, um, is, there's no mention of Muhammad as one of the prophets of God in scripture. So there's, there's differences, and that's just a very few of the differences um, that we see between the two gods. Um, I mean, there's there's many, many more, and, and I would challenge anyone to look those up, um, the differences between the God of Allah, the God of Quran, and the God of Scripture. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a little bit of a, again, Paul and I are not experts, but we hope that this information can be insightful um, and be helpful and help you on a journey for you also to um, gain further learning on the, these topics. Yeah, and, and as we break down the differences between the understandings of God and belief systems, it, that really provides the, uh, the the foundation upon which we um, we should witness and and begin to build relationships and work through some of the work through some of these differences. And and so, <clears throat> what I'll share in, in the next few minutes is uh, build upon. <clears throat> those differences that Stephen was highlighting because anytime you have two faith systems that are conflicting in a certain area in order to witness to somebody of that other belief system, you have to uh, be prepared with a, really a strategy to, uh, to, to explain that or to um, argue your side. And, um, and all that being said, of course, it's, it's not uh, arguing or debating or, or convincing somebody on a logical level. Usually that's going to win them over to your, your faith system and your belief structure, but um, you, you do have to have a response to the objections that are being presented to you. And so we'll cover those in a minute. Um, but uh, from here on out, we're talking about how do you, how do you witness to and, and how do you represent uh, your, your faith to somebody of a uh, Muslim belief system. So first of all, a list of quick list of just do's and don'ts um, in your interactions with Muslims. First of all, uh, these are, I, I hope, kind of obvious, but still important to say, love and, and respect your Muslim friends. Treat them with love and, and respect and gentleness and courtesy. Uh, pray with them. Pray for them. Uh, both are important. As often as we can have our, our Bibles open and be working out of our Bibles and in, in interactions with them, 
the better because uh, it just means we're exposing them to God's word and to the authority and, and the authenticity of, of Scripture as we do so. Um, and uh, as is often the recommended place to start, uh, the Gospel of John. So if you have ever have uh, an opportunity to work with a, a Muslim around just sharing your, your faith system, uh, perhaps um, in a reciprocal manner, uh, maybe you're, you're listening and receiving as well um, in order to, to be in a respectful and trusting relationship. But uh, from your end, the Gospel of John is a great place to, to start when it comes to your opportunity to share with them from the Word of God. Another recommendation is to meet with them individually. Uh, so often, and, and um, you know, the, the, the suggestion from the book is, is that Muslims in particular have a, a sense of pride and, and conviction around their faith such that they uh, would be more emboldened and, and less open-minded when around other folks. I don't know if that's really so much a Muslim trait as, as it is a trait of anybody who's has uh, deeply embedded religious beliefs and convictions. Um, but it's helpful to meet individually with them uh, so that they might uh, not have that, that factor of, um, of uh, having other folks around them that share their beliefs and, and having to worry about perception so much. Uh, point to Jesus as often as you can without being offensive. Um, just continue to introduce them to who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. Um, you know, one, a quote from a, a Muslim in the book that contributed, um, or I'm sorry, a quote from the book about a, a Muslim who converted to Christianity and their contribution was that uh, they said that Muslims need to see Christianity not as a religion, but as a, a living and new relationship with God. Uh, so, and that's what Jesus can offer, point them to, to this new concept of not just a, a religion in, in the sense of uh, sets of rituals, but an actual relationship with God. Um, and another recommendation is for you uh, yourself to, to read portions of the Quran so that you have a, a sense of kind of the nature of their uh, scriptural text, um, some of the concepts within, just be familiar with it uh, as you engage them. And uh, finally, uh, the last do on the list is, is to handle the Bible itself with respect. Um, uh, Muslims uh, regard their Quran with, with such respect that uh, in certain countries it's it's uh, frowned upon to lower the Quran below your waist. Uh, that's disrespectful to the scripture. Um, they place the Quran on the highest shelf in their uh, houses and on their bookshelves because nothing should be higher than the Quran. So if we are disrespecting God's word, even uh, the, the physical pages of it and, and the book and the binding itself and not treating it with the utmost respect, um, that may communicate poorly. Uh, next, a, a list of don'ts. Just a few, in fact. One, don't be critical of, of Islam, the Quran, or Muhammad. Uh, in fact, if you can avoid those topics altogether, because um, we don't need to be uh, pushing buttons, we, we just need to be introducing them to Christ. And so as much as you can focus on, on Jesus and accentuate the, the good news of the gospel, uh, the better. Number two, um, and this is perhaps unique to your interactions with a Muslim, but uh, don't uh, be in, in a super big hurry to bring them to church, at least a larger church worship setting, um, because uh, they may find that there's too much to take in and, and too many things that, that uh, are offensive and, and contradictory to them and, and their personal beliefs, uh, such as you know something as simple as men and women sitting together in worship. 
uh, there might be too many barriers uh, such as that and, and other customs in the service uh, that would make it difficult for them to you know, effectively and positively receive the experience. So um, the recommendation is to make sure you wait until they're ready and they're, they're fully aware of what they're going to experience when they walk into church. And finally, don't don't argue uh, with your your Muslim friend. Understand that uh, Muslims, uh, I guess, the custom is that they um, they are very persistent, and they uh, they have this sense that they cannot lose an argument because um, they then they lose their. Uh, it's a, a, a hindrance to their reputation and, and the way they present themselves and, and the pride and the conviction that they have around their faith. And uh, so rather than enter into a debate or an argument, just to stimulate their thinking by introducing them to uh, concepts that would draw them closer to Christ. Uh, so these are a list of do's and don'ts, and then specifically related to some of the things Stephen was mentioning about the things that separate us, make us different. A few um, objections that uh, Muslims throw out there uh, against the Christian faith, and just a real quick overview of, of how we might respond. First of all, they believe that the Bible has been corrupted. They believe that Jews and Christians uh, back in the day um, intentionally uh, altered the, the scriptures and uh, did so in a way that um, makes you know makes it uh, less friendly and less agreeable to uh, Muslims. Even though once again they see the Bible as a an authoritative text, but a, a flawed one uh, nonetheless. But a um, couple of thoughts: one, uh, it, it would be uh, difficult, if not impossible, in, in this time frame to actually intentionally alter the. The content of the Bible, uh, because at the time that uh, Islam was spreading, uh, the Bible was already spread around to um, uh, Jewish communities and Christian communities all around the world. And uh, it would have been quite a conspiracy to, to get all of those folks to come together and decide at that point in Christian history to change the content uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but there really is no evidence that the content of Scripture has changed uh, from the time uh, before Islam evolved and, until the time when they objected to Scripture and, and suggested that it had been changed. If you look back at old manuscripts um, from uh, from well before Islam developed and, and manuscripts today, there's a few very slight uh, variants, uh, such uh, things such as you know somebody forgot to include a letter or uh, just very minor differences like that, and nothing upon which any Christian doctrine is is really built. If you uh, if you wanted to work up a lather about all of these changes, it really still wouldn't affect um, Christian doctrine whatsoever, as insignificant as they are. Uh, so the Bible is, is still intact, and the Bible is still authoritative uh, from a Christian perspective, and we can communicate that to them. Uh, next, the doctrine of the Trinity, this notion that, uh, that Muslims object to there being three gods, uh, and, and of course the answer seems simple enough, you know, that, that there is not three gods, there, there are, uh, or, or God is, is one, um, in, uh, a united um, God, united in uh, essence, but three in, in person, and, and that's how we see it, and um, that's, a, of course, a difficult concept for us to grasp, even as Christians, much less try and introduce to somebody else. And so maybe part of your response is simply, you know, we can't expect as human beings to, to really understand and grasp the, the uh, essence of who God is, uh, God's character and God's nature, 
Um, one of the examples given in the book was it'd be like a, a, a two-dimensional person trying to understand a three-dimensional world. It's just so out there for us. Uh, so for us to try and grasp it and uh, communicate it is, is very, very difficult. But the Bible supports this notion that uh, our God is, is a triune God, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three essences um, are important to us because uh, God loves us so much that he wanted to manifest himself in three different ways to meet all of our needs. Uh, and, and each uh, part of the Trinity meets unique needs uh, that we have. And um, and Scripture uh, also demonstrates that uh, Father and Son are present at the same time, or Son and Holy Spirit, or all three different essences working together, uh, all one, but at the same time distinct. So the uh, the concept of the Trinity remains intact. Uh, finally, this uh, notion that that um, God has no sons. Uh, as Stephen mentioned, that, that how would God um, have a son? And in fact, uh, the concept is um, often spread around Muslim believers that um, this, this notion means that God had physical relations with a woman and uh, she bore God a son. And of course, this is not the, the Christian understanding whatsoever. And in scripture, this notion of being the son of God is, is not meant to be a biological, in, in a physical biological, I was birthed by um, and, or come, you know, I'm coming biologically from the father. Uh, it, it means something uh, very, very different. In, in essence, Jesus is the spiritual son of God. Um, it's, it's in essence that Jesus has the same order and the same qualities as God. Uh, he evolves out of God. Uh, but as we know, Jesus is, lives outside of time and space as well. So Jesus has been around as long as God because Jesus is God. Jesus is, is, um, goes back to uh, the beginning of time, which is forever and ever and ever, and will continue for forever and ever and ever. So uh, Jesus could not, in essence, have evolved out of God uh, because they were both existent um, all throughout time. So uh, just several of the objections that are often uh, placed before us and, and Christians, and this is just a real, a real surface level, real brief overview of how to respond to some of these. I recommend this this book, digging into it yourself, so you're not uh, having to rely on Stephen and I to interpret it for you. In, in our uh, humble attempts to do so, we, we mean well, but uh, reading the content yourself uh, is not only um, important, but I, I find it to be very eye-opening and, and interesting. So. I would encourage you to, to grab the book yourself or, or any other resource that is uh, uh, similar in content. And uh, we will come back and uh, bring you some more good stuff next week. Um, and Stephen, you want to close us out? we got, what, one or two at least more weeks of yeah. uh, touching on other world religions, and then yeah. we'll see where uh, the Lord leads from there. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm excited about the... I think one or two weeks that we have left in, um, in this series, and hopefully it's been helpful for everyone. And um, But, yeah, so we're going to be um, also, Paul and I, again, thank you for all the words that we've heard from people, and we just also encourage you to come to church in person uh, once you feel um, safe enough and you and you feel ready to do that. Um, and Paul and I love to hear and, and to speak to others. Uh, um, about the podcast and our faith and um, but we're also glad that you can worship with us on Sunday so 11 or 8 30 parking lot service 
um, 10 o'clock in person, 1130, streaming and in person. So, And Stephen promised to bring his drone to the 830 <laughs> service <laughs> oh, geez, so yeah, right. he could fly it around and show it off right. and we could use it for some special effects. Yeah. And, but keep your windows closed because <laughs> it, it seems to have a mind of its own. Yeah, it might take off and go crazy. So <laughs> I don't know if I trust around people yet, but I'm, I'll be a proficient pilot by then. So. Oh, of course. Right. Of course. Well, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.